Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Erin Summers, joined by John DeShazer. Today we have Fletcher Mackle, who is joining us on the podcast. Going to wrap up some of the Saints season and look forward to what's coming up in the next few weeks for the Saints, the franchise, and maybe a little bit about what we'd like to see in 2022. I'm still getting used to saying it that way. I'm still... You know, 2021, I'm writing the date wrong, and we're you know, 20 days into this new year. Not only will we have Fletcher Mackle of WDSU on the podcast today, we will be joined in a little bit by Leon Latoul Jr., who is a statistician for the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans, and the nephew of Gail, who, who recently passed away. I want to pay tribute to all of the work that Gail did over his 55 years with both organizations. But Fletcher, thanks for, for coming on today. Thanks for having me. And, I, and, and you're right, too. I keep sending emails to work <laughs> and I keep dating them. Like I dated the one earlier this week, 11721, which, of course, then somebody has to be the person to write back and say it's 2022. And it's like, I know, I know by February, I'll fix that. And uh, I should also add when you say 2022, I started working at WDSU in 2002. So this is my 20th year there. I just finished my 20th season and I don't want to date John, but I remember a few years ago when we were going through the archives and doing a deep dive, I think I actually found some clips from like training camp in La Crosse, Wisconsin in 92. And those were like John's newspaper days. And I remember seeing him and some of the other veteran you know, reporters there. I think that's right, right, John? It was 92. It may have been. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was definitely but, way back. Yeah, you didn't want to date me, but you dated me pretty good. <laughs> 92, this will be my 30th year here. Uh, so officially, I have lived more than half my life here uh, than my home state of Georgia. So yeah, I guess I, I still don't claim New Orleans now. And folks, don't, don't get mad at me. I'm still a Georgia boy. But, uh, but yeah, I spent more than half my life here now. Well, it's perfect people to have to talk about this same season and where it lies in the grand scheme of things. Fletcher, we've, we've talked about how the end of the year, you know, it's unfortunate the way that this team fought and they weren't able to get rewarded with postseason play. But looking at it in your 20 years of covering the team, where does this season fall and how do you kind of rate what they were able to do this year? Yeah, look, I I think I'm probably going to fall in line with a lot of the people that you all have had. And I'm sorry, I don't have some crazy opinion that makes for a better podcast, but (laughs) I I think what they were able to overcome, they deserve a lot of credit for. I certainly wish they would have been able to get into the playoffs because I do think the optics of that are so much better and the feeling that they would have had are so much better. You look at the Steelers. They didn't really have a chance against Kansas City, but what they overcame, what Mike Tomlin, who I think is a great coach on equal footing with Sean Payton, was able to overcome the the struggles they had, Big Ben returning from injury, everything they dealt with. In getting into the playoffs, it was a testament to holding the ship together and kind of getting it to port. I think Sean Payton did an amazing job this year. He dealt with COVID, an outbreak on his staff, an outbreak on his team, four different quarterbacks, all the starting players. We get it. We know it. If if the Rams could have just hung on and won and the Saints would have gotten in, even if they wouldn't have gone very far in the playoffs, just getting in, I think, would have been a, a better ending 
for, mm-hmm. you know, what they were able to deal with this year, because certainly you look at what they dealt with and that screams five and 12 season and excuses left and right of what were they supposed to do? Finishing nine and eight is great. And I think they deserve a ton of credit for that. Getting into the playoffs certainly would have been just kind of like an extra little feather in their cap, so to say. Um, so that's kind of where I land on it. I think it was a, a, just a, a season like no other. I can't remember ever covering a season like this in 20 years um, with everything they've dealt with. And I know a lot has changed in the last two years because of the pandemic, but it was definitely a different season. It was definitely interesting to cover to see how they overcame everything and, and how they kind of held it all together, watching the defense um, play so spectacularly at times. Um, but yeah, I think in the end, it would have been nice to get into the playoffs. And I do think that was probably the biggest letdown from this season. They just couldn't get, you know, over the finish line and into the postseason. You mentioned COVID and having to deal with that and every team had to deal with it, but I still, and maybe I'm biased here because I I work for the team and and I want them to do well, but I do think that they might've had it worse than any other team, even in that regard. I mean, we talked about the injuries and what happened with, you know, the offensive line being decimated coming into the season, you know, you're already down your, your top wide receiver and your kicker. And then you have COVID hit not only your, your team, but your coaching staff. I, I think that along the way, the Saints absolutely dealt with more adversity than any other team did this year. And maybe any team ever has. And, and I don't know if, if you feel the same. I don't know if I could go any team ever has. I don't know if my perspective on football goes that deep because I'm sure somebody can make an argument and say, look at the, the such and such Packers or the such and such Giants and, <laughs> and what they had to overcome. Or, you know, like, you know, I was a child, but like when Jeff Hostetler took over for Phil Sims and the Giants won a Super Bowl, I don't know if somebody can make an argument that that was more adversity for a Giants team back, you know, way back in the day. Um, but I will say this. I think this season in the NFL – you'd be hard pressed to find a team that dealt with more adversity than the new Orleans saints. And look, I'm not trying to give them a complete pass. They should have won the giants game. They should have won the Falcons game at home. I mean, it, for all the, the things we're talking about now in the adversity that they dealt with and what they overcame, I certainly think you have to lay some of the responsibility at their feet. Those were winnable games and they, in essence, snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. And just one of those games holding on and winning at home would have put them in the postseason. So while I do, again, the culture they've created from the top down and in what Sean Payton did, you know, plugging and playing all those different starters and all those different quarterbacks and still finding a way to win games, going to Tampa and winning what was one of the the greatest defensive games in team history. You know, Jim Mora is now an analyst at our station Mm -hmm. and, and pointed out that that may have been the finest defensive performance since I believe it was either the 85 or the 86 saints. They were playing the LA Rams and they won a game six, nothing and held Eric Dickerson, who at the time was the greatest offensive player in the league to like 54 yards rushing. So I get what they did. And I agree with you in large part that they probably overcame more than any team in the NFL. But that being said, I don't want to just absolve them of it was all COVID. It was all injuries. It was all circumstance because there were a couple of winnable games there that they definitely let slip away. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably, I'd probably even go to the, uh, to the Katrina saints who didn't have home game, didn't have a home game that season had to play uh, in San Antonio and Baton Rouge and, you know, God knows where else, Uh, but they didn't have injury things. But Fletcher, you mentioned, 
you mentioned the quarterbacks. Um, four quarterbacks. Uh, first time this franchise has had to do that since what, the Dick of Saints with the Billy Joes and whatnot. Um, and now that said, um, and even though Jameis Winston is a is a is a free agent, pretty much. Uh, but is there the Saints quarterback? Did the Saints quarterback in 2022 play on the team in 2021? I guess is what I'm saying. John, this is like one of those questions. I mean, it is polarizing on social media, right? I mean, if somebody tweets about it, it just goes <laughs> nuts because there are people that love Jameis. There's people that hate Jameis. There's people that love Taysom. There's people that hate Taysom. I mean, it's just unbelievable because I think for 15 years we got so accustomed to the one thing we know is Breeze is playing quarterback and he's amazing and he's great and he's the greatest player in franchise history and now which I think is great that's what I love about social media everybody has an opinion I don't always love the opinions here's my opinion my opinion is no is that the four quarterbacks who are under center for the New Orleans Saints none of those guys will be the starter when the Saints kick off the 2022 season and I understand I could certainly make an argument that it could be and should be Jameis Winston. I just feel like I don't know if Jameis showed enough in the seven games for the team to invest in him long-term. Now, maybe they can't find their long-term answer. And Jameis is back on a similar deal like he got last year, a one-year kind of prove-it deal. I certainly think that is a viable path for them to take. Taysom is back doing what he did. Um, in the short yardage situation, in the quarterback carry situation, in the jack of all trades. You could even bring Trevor Simeon back and you could have Ian Book back as a developmental guy. You could literally rinse, wash, and repeat what you did last year. But this is my philosophy. And I started writing a little column for our website about this. And you and I talked about our history here. Let's go back to 06. Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis, to me, are aggressive go-getters. And Sean Payton always uses the term clear vision. There was no clear vision last year. It was an open, the clear vision was an open competition and we don't know what's going to happen. I just, I find it hard to believe that they are going to go in to the off season again without a clear vision. Is Jameis healthy? Is he going to beat out Taysom again? Is this, you know, offense going to click with Jameis and Sean? Something just tells me they are going to solidify this position before they get to, mini camp or off-season workouts in April. And what I was alluding to going back and talking about the history that you and I can mind, they signed Drew Brees back in 06. I think a lot of people thought, look, you, you, you I'm sorry, you referenced the Katrina year. I pulled the cord on my, my phone there. Um, you referenced the Katrina year and, and they had the second pick in the draft. In Matt Liner and Vince Young, you say, New coach, resetting the organization, coming off a really horrific year. What do you do? You draft a franchise quarterback. Well, they signed Drew Brees, who couldn't pick up a football at the time, and they didn't waver. I remember being at that press conference. I listened to a lot of it last year from, from Brees signing with the Saints, and there were still people asking the question, well, you got this guy, but you could still draft somebody, right? And they, they said, no, Drew Brees is our quarterback. Like, he's our guy. So I just feel like while I, I like Jameis and think – as a man, he's matured. As a player, he's matured and love everything he's become in New Orleans. I don't know if he's the guy going forward for them. I love Taysom, but again, same thing. I don't know if he's their guy going forward. So I think that maybe it is Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe they do trade for a player we're not even talking about, be it a Derek Carr or Baker Mayfield. I, I think there's a, a, a path that maybe we don't see right now that they explore this offseason and solidify it 
without going into an off season of uncertainty and in, in, you know, guys battling for it and let the best man win. And I, I know that was a long winded answer, but I hope it maybe explains my stance on, on your question. I believe so. Now, now here's the thing, how much or does a healthy possibly Michael Thomas change that possible narrative? Do you, do you add Michael Thomas and say, okay, now the quarterback situation looks better. Or do you feel you add Michael Thomas healthy again to this lineup and say, okay, you still have to go outside and get someone. Well, let me say this. Michael Thomas healthy makes any quarterback better, right? I mean, that was like Drew Brees' safety blanket for years. It was like, when in doubt, throw the quick slant because that is a guaranteed three to five yards. It was just something that worked so well. So if Michael Thomas is healthy, I mean, look at when Taysom Hill played quarterback last year, those few games that Michael Thomas was here, I thought Taysom looked great in those games because he had Michael Thomas that he could go to. The only problem I have, or the question I would ask is, is Michael Thomas healthy? I mean, this is a guy who's now had two surgeries, who hasn't played. I mean, he's played three of a possible 33 games the last two years. Does he come back, you know, healthy? And the Michael Thomas, that was the, 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 the player, the offensive player of the year. And, you know, so I just have questions about that. Like, I get it. If Michael Thomas is back, that makes Jameis Winston a better quarterback. But is Michael Thomas going to be back healthy? Is Jameis Winston going to be back healthy? I don't know if you count on Michael Thomas to make whichever quarterback you have better. And I certainly think the wide receivers or the pass catchers need help. But it's kind of the great unknown as far as is Michael Thomas going to come back and be wide receiver number one and didn't miss a beat, you know, or is he? Is he going to be a shell of himself still playing his way back in in the 2022 season? We're talking about he's still finding his footing. He's still trying to become the guy he was years ago. I just think there's a lot of questions there, but he could be. I just don't know if he will be. Now, now anybody who follows Fletcher on social media, you know, his, you know about the trade machine for the <laughs> You also know you also know this is one of the things you'll have to love about Fletcher is his engagement. Fletch is, is going to have out, a, you know, a, a draft at some point, <laughs> it's early, so I don't want to push you here if you don't have your, you know, your ducks in a row. But who are the Saints drafting? So I'll say this right now. I think maybe they're drafting a quarterback, but that it gets back to my theory. I started like at first I said, look, there's a lot of great unknown quarterbacks in this draft, right? There's no guy that you say that's the Trevor Lawrence of this year's draft or like in years before you knew this guy's going to be quarterback number one. This is like eye of the beholder if there ever was. I mean, Kenny Pickett, I've seen mock drafts that have him going as high as like six to Carolina and as low as 20 to Pittsburgh. Um, is Desmond Ritter a first-round draft pick? Sam Howe from North Carolina. You know, um, um, Malik Willis from Liberty. Is, is he going to be the next Josh Allen because of all the amazing talent he has? So I want to go quarterback and just say, hey, look, that's the blueprint New England used. New England, after Brady, went one year with Cam Newton. It didn't really work out. They then just said, let's go get our guy. And they got Mac Jones, and they put a young quarterback who managed the game around a really good defense and really good players in the trenches, and they got back to the playoffs. I feel like that's a blueprint for the Saints. You got a great defense. When healthy, you've got a strong offensive line. You've got Kamara in his prime. Maybe you go get at 18 there's going to be a quarterback that you say we like, and maybe even you trade up, you know, last year there were reports that the saints were trying to trade up for JC Horn and Mac Jones. Maybe look, the saints couldn't get from 28 to 10 last year. They can get from 18 to 10 
if a quarterback is there. So I want to go quarterback. I really do. And, and, and I love Kenny Pickett. I love Desmond Ritter. I mean, I watched a lot of those Cincinnati games this year and think maybe people are sleeping on him. But then I start talking myself out of it because I say, if you got to wait till the draft, well, that means you probably end up signing Jameis Winston again. And then you go back into what I said is the uncertainty, the unknown. Is it Jameis? Is it Taysom? Is it the rookie that you drafted because somebody fell to you at 18 or the draft fell your way? And that's a, a lot of unknown scenarios as you start training camp in 2022. Something just tells me that maybe Sean and Nikki decide we want to solidify this before then. And, and it ends up being Jimmy Garoppolo or it ends up being Baker Mayfield or it ends up being Derek Carr or it ends up being, I mean, Russell Wilson, I would love or Aaron Rodgers. But I've moved those guys off the table because I just feel like if they get out of their respective markets, other teams can offer better deals than the New Orleans Saints. Like the Giants have two top 10 picks. That would trump any deal the Saints could offer. So I, in my mock draft, I will go quarterback. But I just, I feel like I'm going to change that and I'm going to end up going wide receiver or offensive lineman if the Saints stand pat at, uh, at, at number 18. So you've talked about the draft and what your hopes are for that. In general, what would you like the Saints to do during this offseason to get prepared for the 2022 season? I, I, would, I would echo what I just said. I would say solidify the quarterback position and, and do it before. Don't do it because you have to do it. Do it because you want to do it. You feel like it's for the greater good of your team and go find your quarterback before and, and just take away all doubt. That's the one thing I think the Saints have done a great job with all these other teams. There's so much uncertainty. You know, Sean Payton says this, and I think it's a great line. He, he always says you can line up teams in July, eight, eight have a chance to win the Super Bowl because the others are not in line. Ownership, executives, coaches, and players. The one thing they've done a great job with here is getting in line, seeing that vision, being on the same page and following through with it. And I just think they eliminate a lot of uncertainty that they, for better or worse, look, they, they've stuck with bad players too long and then on the back end have to part ways with them. But when they were their guys, they were all in. Mm -hmm. We're with these guys. We're sticking with these guys. We believe in these guys. The Saints don't do a lot of knee-jerk deals during the season. You know, Sean Payton always says, Nobody's coming in to rescue us. Superman isn't walking through the door because that's just not who and what they are. They don't do these crazy deals. Go get, go get this guy during the season. It was such, it was such like out of sorts for them when they brought in Antonio Brown a few years ago, just for a visit. And they didn't sign him, but just the fact that they brought him in for a visit was so much different than things that they had normally done. So I think solidify the court. Look, we know the defense and I think you've got decisions to make certainly with, with Marcus Williams and free agency. Um, and I think the rest of the defense is as stout as, as you could possibly you know, get, and, and it will be a strength of this team. I think the offensive line, we saw the depth erode last year when they had to make some salary cap cuts with like Nick Easton and, and obviously you know, the struggles they had there this year with losing key players. The, the, John mentioned the pass catchers and the wide receivers. I certainly think that's an area of upgrade. But I think more than anything else, the biggest thing I would like them to see them do is solidify the quarterback position. And my opinion is I would like to see them do that before training camp, be it an all out competition again. Hey, it's Jameis Taysom and a rookie best man win. I would like to see them do what they did in 06 when they signed Drew Brees in free agency and never wavered. I would like to see them go get veteran quarterback X, Y, or Z 
and say, this is our dude. This is our guy. We're set. And we know who and what we are going into this off season. All right. Well, we're going to have to follow along um, Twitter, keep up with your, your draft projections and what you think is going to happen. And hopefully we can hold on to all the coaches that we have here. I appreciate the time Fletcher. Thank you so much for, for breaking some stuff down for us post saints season. And, and we'll look forward to, to what's to come, I guess, until we can talk again, <clears throat> some more football. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you uh, so much for having me. Next time, John and I, we can all talk Pelicans and have some some crazy Pels trades and what they do. Yeah, see, we gotta get we gotta get on the other podcast for that. We got true, it's true. Yeah. But thank you for having me for this. I truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much to Fletcher for joining us on the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. We have a special guest who has worked for a long time with the New Orleans Saints and the Pelicans on today's podcast. To remember the life of Gail Toole, who passed away after a battle with cancer on Tuesday. He was the statistician for the New Orleans Saints and the Pelicans, served so many years with both of the organizations, and really did a lot for the NFL in terms of how stats are kept and, and what stats are kept. So we're lucky to have Leon Latwell Jr., who also works as a statistician for the New Orleans Saints and New Orleans Pelicans to talk about his uncle, Gail. Leon, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Appreciate what you, your family has done for the Saints for a really long time. And we just kind of wanted to take this opportunity to pay tribute to what Gail has done with the team, not only on the, the Saints side, but the Pelicans side as well. So appreciate you taking some time today to join us. Thank you for having me. You have kind of moved into the spot as a statistician, but it was something that got started because of Gail and your interest in the NFL as well. Thinking about what, what he's done and the path that he kind of paved for you, um, what does it mean for you to be able to, to be a part of this franchise and, and work in what he started? Um, it started a long time ago when the jazz was in town. Uh, I used to stand behind him. I was a ball boy, but at times I would stand behind him while they were keeping stats, him and my dad, and just pay attention to what was going on and kind of fell in love with it. Um, same thing with the Saints. Um, I was the youngest guy in the press box when it opened up. I was 10 years old when the Superdome opened. And I kind of stood behind there and if somebody had to run to the bathroom or whatever, I just step in and start helping out and learn that way. And it just became a passion like with Gail. And I just um, took in everything that he did and learned everything, learned each one of the spots. And uh, when I went to college, I did the same thing. But um, when computers came around, that's when the game changed. Um, I was the youngest on the crew and learned the, the program and um, got to sit next to Gal. He, he was the official caller for the Saints games. Um, there were some articles written. He hand wrote every single play, wrote down every single thing that happened. And I just followed along on a computer and typed in what he wrote. And, um, you know, with the computers, everything does it for you. You know, there's programs that prints out everything for you, but it had to start with him. 
being able to be behind him, learn from him. Can you speak to the passion that he had for this aspect of his job and what he did with these franchises? Yeah. He, I mean, he loved it. He just, he didn't miss a game. You know, if he missed the game, he was really sick or it was work related that he was out of town. Um, he just had a passion for it, um, for all of it. Starting with Tulane, then the Saints, the Jazz, then moved into the Hornets and the Pelicans. And, you know, we've done everything in between, Sugar Bowls, Super Bowls. He's done, he's been on every Super Bowl crew, every Sugar Bowl crew up until this year is I think the first Sugar Bowl that he's missed in all his years. Um, he just enjoyed what he was doing. He really did. Now, Leon, I, I saw where Gail was basically an original saint um, from the 1967. Yes, started, started, You know, taking the stats from there. Um, how much pride did he take in that? Because, I mean, I, I saw also where he only missed four games, one of them being his honeymoon. Thank God for his yes. life. I thank God for taking that much time, but only missed four games, 1967. How much pride did he take in, in doing and being in and doing that every single home game? He did. He enjoyed it. Um, on his honeymoon, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was married in the afternoon on a Saturday, worked the Tulane game that evening <laughs> and left and went on his honeymoon. So missed the Saints game on that Sunday. Um, like I said, he was missed one, I believe. He had to go out of town for work um, that couldn't be avoided. And he may have missed two because he was sick. And for him to miss because he's sick, he was really sick. So um, he enjoyed being there. He enjoyed doing what he's doing. He enjoyed being with us, particularly my dad and myself. Um, but we made, we made great relationships with, you know, Bob Remy, you know, Bob Remy and, yeah. and our crew that, you know, that we've put together. And um, he just had a dedication to what he loved to do. Um, things got a little for him as the NFL and the NBA also evolved into the sports betting aspect of it. And everything needed to be really quick. Gail was more about the accuracy. So, you know, if the referee is standing around with the football in his hand, but he didn't put it down, Gail wasn't ready to call it. It was put down. The NFL made some changes with us where I had to put basically where we thought it was going to be and then go ahead and change it if the ball didn't actually wind up where it was supposed to be. Um, but that's how he was. He, he wasn't going to change because of change. He just, that's the rules. You wait until the ball is put down. So he is very passionate about that. What sparked his interest? Because, you know, obviously he, he was a numbers guy. He was a tax attorney and, you know, sports deals with numbers and those kinds of things. But I saw he answered a call from Tulane, the hullabaloo of the school. Yeah. Page for, but what sparked his interest to do it at, at a pro level? Because, you know, it's one thing to, to do it in college, you know, just kind of, you know, I guess maybe having a little fun. And all of a sudden, it's not even your your first profession. It's something right. that's due probably just out of passion for it. Yeah. And I believe that um, it was also his passion for writing. He um, used to write for the Old Grid Week. Um, he still did articles for Tulane's 
um, programs and stuff. He loved to write. Um, so I think he was answering that call to get into the sports information side of it. And it evolved into, I worked in sports information in college too. Although I didn't write, I kept stats. He did the stats and the writing. Um, and I guess he just fell in love with that part of it, making sure and a lot of people don't get it. When you're keeping stats, particularly in basketball, your box score needs to balance at the end yeah. of the game. Yes. And a lot of people just don't get that. And he taught me that, you know, make sure it balances. It doesn't matter what that computer spits out. Let's make sure that it balances. And I guess that's just his passion for numbers and, and, and understanding. Gail used to be able to spit out in the early days when we we're doing things by hand for basketball percentages, you know, shooting percentages. I could never do that. I tried, but he just very quickly off the top of his head, he can tell you, you know, one for three, 333, just off the top of his head, no calculator, nothing. And he, he was good at it. He really was. See, that's that meticulousness. Now you, your dad, his brother, and, yep. and you know, now how does this become a family business? I mean, is this, this pretty much, you know, he's just dealing with people he trusts because you guys have kind of, you know, learned alongside him or he's kind of trained you and, and that's how it becomes that way. Well, you know, when he was with the saints um, in the first year, there was a crew that was in charge and it was some CPAs and stuff. And Gail's role wasn't as big as it become. Um, it was years later that he became the, I guess you call the head statistician that made all of the calls. Um, he did other jobs in between. The following year is when he brought my dad in. They needed someone to keep defensive stats, which back then wasn't an official stat. So brought my dad in. And just from over the years, me being around, you know, going to the games, um, they got me into the press box, uh, got me on the court for the, the jazz games. I just picked it up, learned it, um, and it was, it was all from Gail. You know, it's different aspects of, you know, whether or not it's um, someone keeping shots and rebounds or blocks and steals and assists. You know, we had numerous people that did different things for that. For football, we had, you know, Gail calling out the offensive plays. My dad does the defensive plays. I do the primary inputting on the computer. We have a secondary guy, Jason Sanchez, that does the backup computer. Um, Wayne Hansman does the um, our video replay. So if there's anything that's close, and we started this before the NFL actually did, we had a replay machine, go DVR, and uh, not even DVR, video cassette. And Wayne would replay the play that we had in question just to make sure that we got it right. Um, something you may notice on the bottom of the stats after a catch, the yak yards. I'd like to say we started that, you know, and then mainly Bob Remy. Um, whenever there was a pass catch, we would put where it was caught, where the receiver returned it to, or, you know, how far he got. And the NFL liked that. They started having other teams do it. So when they did the program, they incorporated that into it also. So that all started – you know, through our team. 
Leon, how, how how vast is this for you? Because you know, I, I guess you when you start doing this and you're doing it with the guy who's originated originated it for the franchise. I, I don't know if you ever envision a day where he, he won't be there. So how how big is how vast is this for you to I mean, obviously, you understand the system. You've been in it. Uh, you know what's what what's required and what's necessary, and yet there's a huge presence that won't be there. Yeah, um, I, I've kind of have been thinking about it, you know, and talked with Justin about it, and you know, so our stack crew is actually run by the NFL now. Um, so I need to let the guys, you know, in New York know. I'm the crew chief now that Mr. Bob's no longer there. Um, whenever Gail would miss, I'm really the next person to do his job, but I'm more comfortable doing my job, inputting and everything. So we got some changes we're going to have to make. Um, I got to find another, you know, person to fill in. I have some ideas. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be hard to replace him. You know, the rules, you know, he knew the rules for college. He knew the rules for the pros. And we also did all of the LHSAA games in the dome. So he, you know, since day one that they started in the dome. Um, so he knew the, the rules behind all that. Everybody thinks that it's all the same rules and it's not, you know, um, depending on a sack, you know, and depending on what it is, is whether or not it's a, a team sack or an individual sack. And so he knew all of those rules. Um, when he missed that, um, that last game against Carolina, you know, he was sick and he called me on the phone and wanted to make sure, you know, for the Sugar Bowl and for that game, certain key plays that are tricky to score, you know, going over with me, making sure I remember. And it's because he wanted to make sure it was going to be done right. I know. Uh, I appreciate that type of work ethic and the meticulousness of it because John and I sit there on game days and we rely on a lot of the stats that are coming in to do our jobs. And so I just, I appreciate you and your family and what Gail did. And, and I, I would love if it, if it exists to see some of these notes that he wrote out by hand, if there are any that are still out there. I have, really cool. I, I have, um, I have this whole season. So um, yeah, I can show it to you. If I'll bring it to the next um, Pelicans game. Perfect. But, um, and that's a thing too. And I know y'all know sometimes, but a lot of times, you know, we'll have people yelling at us. The score is wrong. The score. We don't control everything, you know. We don't control the scoreboards. We don't control a lot of stuff. You no, know? we can only control so much. So I get it, y'all. Y'all live on air and everything, but sometimes it's out of our control. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't fudge what's actually happening out there. Yeah. Uh, even though we would like you to change the score sometimes. <laughs> oh, well, I've had many times, you know. Um, sports information guys come to us say hey wait a minute this guy had this many blocks or this many steals why did it change well because somebody behind the scenes you know in Sakakis is saying that wasn't actually a block you know <laughs> that one and we go back and look at it and we got to change it so you know 
that's another deal with, you know, the advancement of everything. You know, we have live feeds now, different angles. We, we probably have six different camera views that we can look at to get it right. And that's the bottom line. And that's how we've always felt is to get it right. That's why we had a, you know, um, a videotape years and years ago, you know, mm-hmm. now it's even more so sophisticated. All of the teams in the NFL now have a DVR um, that keeps live, but we can go back and look at specific plays. You know, they didn't have it years ago. These are things that we came up with, you know, so there was times um, that we were told by the media that we were the best stat crew in the NFL um, on how quick we used to get the stats out. I don't know where we stand now, um, but we still get things out pretty quick now. Hey, best, best in our hearts. That's what, that's what matters, right? Saints fans, us, we, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Give us a little insight on what you and Gail have been doing and done for the, the teams, both teams for a long time. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's been missed. He will be missed. I've gotten numerous texts and calls from people that I forgot that how he's touched their lives. Thank you to Leon, to Fletcher, to John, who always joins me on the New Orleans Saints podcast. I really enjoy being able to dive into some of these stories about the people who make up this organization and appreciate the time that Leon was able to spend talking about Gail. And before I let you go, want to give a mention to Terminix. They have effective solutions that will help to eliminate pest problems throughout the year. Their custom treatments adapt to the season to address seasonal pest activity to protect your home and business all year long. They provide residential and commercial pest and termite control services for the South Shore, North Shore, and River Parishes of Louisiana. Protect your home with Terminix. The New Orleans Saints podcast will be two times a week now for the next several months as we move from in-season play to postseason, what's ahead for the Saints, the draft, the Senior Bowl, all sorts of different transactions that may or may not transpire this offseason. John and I will be with you that is twice a week, as always, on NewOrleansSaints.com or Apple iTunes. You can find us on the app presented by Verizon as well. So make sure you're subscribing and tuning in to catch our podcast each week. We'll always post it on at Saints on Twitter. Thanks for joining us today and talk to you again in a couple days.